Welcome to the Nerd Normie Podcast. I'm a big film nerd, Everett. And I'm Emerald, and I'm engaged to a nerd. First up, we'd like to apologize for missing last week's episode. We are in the process of moving across the country, so we will do our best to hit every week going forward, but bear with us through this process. Uh, that being said, this week I will be doing Dune Part 2, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve. And I chose Drive Away Dolls, directed by Ethan Cohen. For both of these movies, there will be spoilers and non-spoilers. Uh, time codes will be in the description below. Let's get into it. Alright, Dune Part 2 is the sequel to Dune. Uh, both directed by Denis Villeneuve, shot by Craig Frazier. I think is very important to say because these movies are visually stunning. Uh, and stars just about everybody under the stun, but uh, Timothy Chalamet and uh, Zendaya are kind of the two leads, I would say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this movie, I guess first some context on the first movie from both of us. I saw it in theaters. I Denis Villeneuve is top three directors all time for me. I love everything I've ever seen him do. Uh, and... Dune Part 1, I think, is visually spectacular. I think it has moments that are really great, but it never gripped me in the same way as other movies. Like, I have an Arrival tattoo because of how much I love that movie. I was never going to get a Dune Part 1 tattoo. Uh, and you? I didn't like it, but I don't really <laughs> like sci-fi very much, and... I also don't really like movies where not very much happens, and I get that they're setting up for the rest of them, but holy cowoly, that was a <laughs> slow movie for me. I did not like that movie. Yeah, it was slow even for me, but now having seen part two... Wow! <laughs> yeah, part two is phenomenal, and part one does lay the groundwork to allow this movie to happen. If you tried to condense these into one thing it'd be way too bloated or you'd be jumping over really important stuff that just gives context and builds the world and all of that kind of stuff um but yeah i think if i'm gonna rewatch a dune movie it is always gonna be this one um and i will only return to the first one if someday there's six dune movies that exist and i want to marathon them yeah i guess i'll go back to the first to get context and do a proper marathon but other than that, I will always watch Dune Part 2. Yeah, this, like, even I really, really enjoyed it. The first part was really fun and, like, setting up everything that was going to happen. And it was just really interesting. And then the third act, I was, like, my palms were sweating. I was, like, <laughs> hyperventilating. I was jaw dropped. <laughs> but the middle was a little bit slow. And I, for me, it was like I'm tapping my feet because we saw it in IMAX, which is like, you know, eight bajillion seats. So it's like you can't really move around and you can't do anything. And I'm so fidgety, especially when things are slow. So I was a little bit dying there in the middle. But <laughs> with how phenomenal the third act is, I it was worth it. Yeah, I... I also, I same kind of flow of the movie. The first act was like fun and kind of endearing and you get to learn more about the desert and the world of Dune and the politics at play. Um, and it did a good job of both kind of recapping the first movie without re sitting there and just telling you what happened and like, you know, kind of just jogging your memory about this world, but also moving some stuff forward. 
And then, yeah, the middle is the weakest part. It kind of drags. There's a couple cool moments, like, here and there, but it kind of started to remind me of the first movie. Um, But it builds so strongly, and the third act is insane. It's so good. It looks amazing. And it's like, you know what you think is going to happen And yet you're on the edge of your seat because what if they do this? What if they do that? Is that going to be how it goes? Oh my gosh, they have to do this now. It like just you're you forget you're watching a movie or that you're like need to analyze what's happening. And you're just on the edge of your seat watching some of the most visually spectacular action sequences I have ever seen. Uh, play out in front of you and it both does huge scale action and these tiny little like character moments so well and it's so balanced on those two fronts it just it's amazing yeah I told him (laughs) that my favorite moment of acting this year is just Austin Butler doing an eyebrow raise in one part of this movie (laughs) like literally yeah and And that's all it took like it was just it's acted so well by everyone in it yeah and it really there are there is plenty in this movie and in the first movie that should be really silly and really dumb and it's the kind of stuff that sci-fi gets made fun of for forever because it's stupid and it's silly or it makes no sense or really we're doing that again but somehow Denis Villeneuve has made this movie not feel silly. It feels real and important and good and interesting. And I think a lot of that, as much as, yes, it is the script, it is the acting, it's all of that stuff, but the visuals, the CGI in this is as close to flawless as I've ever seen. James Cameron and Avatar, step to the side. Those movies still look fake because we know it's fake. Everything in this feels like it's real. It feels like they somehow built props that were the size of skyscrapers and put actors around them. And I think that's also part of it. Denis Villeneuve is amazing at scale. Anytime there's a giant ship or object or worm or something, there's always some person in the foreground or walking next to it to give you a sense of how big these things are or how small different things are and it just everything feels to scale and accurate and well thought out and looks flawless and it really sells the world this whole visual depth to it yeah but yeah i think that's all we can say without spoiling it so let's head into spoilers all right spoilers for dune part two um so it kind of starts out with You know, we're in the desert, and Paul is learning the way of the Fremen. And Zendaya kind of has a soft spot for him and takes him under her wing and starts to teach him. Meanwhile... I wouldn't say kind of. They kiss after, like, ten minutes. Yes. that Yeah, they definitely do that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and Javier Bardem's character, Stilgar, uh, is 100% convinced... He is the chosen one, the uh, Lisan al-Gaib, I think is what it's called. Um, The Messiah. (laughs) The Messiah. And he, and it's actually 
really funny at the beginning. Like the whole theater was kind of laughing along at these moments, kind of joking about uh, how the literally anytime Paul opens his mouth, it's a sign, quote unquote. And uh, they'll be like, oh my gosh, you're the chosen one. And then him saying he's not means, oh my gosh, he's humble and he is the chosen one. Or if he says he is, it's like, yes, he's taking his rightful place. He is the chosen one. <laughs> and like they play into that comedically. Um, and then like, yeah, he learns to ride a giant worm. And in any other movie, <laughs> like if you explain that to someone, that sounds so stupid, but it's so good. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, yeah, they crushed that. And just like the again, the feel, the style, the like just intensity of him like riding his first worm. It is not just like, you know, a lesser movie just has a giant worm come by and he does some crazy backflip onto it and then rides it up and it does this huge jump and he does a triumphant hand, you know, pumping his fist to the crowd. But in this one, you're like on the worm with him. The camera's like grounded and the sand is just whipping past. You can barely see anything. It's just like, I think that's still Timothy Chalamet, but that could be anybody at this point. And it feels real. Yeah. And it's awesome. Um, and so that kind of stuff continues. And his mom uh, is this like magic lady. And she's kind of sowing the seeds of him being the Messiah down in like the, the fundamentalist groups in the South and stuff, uh, trying to kind of raise him an army, essentially. And there's kind of this tension of he knows if he goes down there, a holy war will begin. And he's going to be responsible for the death of billions in the galaxy. And so he doesn't want to, but on the flip side, if he doesn't, he might lose everyone he loves and knows and evil people will rule. And so he's kind of weighing these things and having to deal with the responsibility of that. And then it gets a little slow. Yeah, and it's like, it's a necessary plot line. It's like Austin Butler rising to be the leader of, what are they called? The Harkonnens. The Harkonnens and such um but it's like a little bit slow and then like timothy chalamet and them going across the desert and whatever yeah and like with that whole austin butler side plot kind of thing like it looks cool and it was interesting and the fight scene that was in there was good but i think it would have worked a little better if we kind of cut back and forth a little more because it's like we've basically in both movies have spent 90% of our time on Arrakis, the desert planet. And then suddenly we spend like 20 minutes on the Harkonnen homeworld or what feels like 20 minutes. And you're just like, wait, when, when are we getting back to Paul? <laughs> like, this is what I'm here for, not some Harkonnen guy. But it does establish who he is. And because he's not in the first movie, you have to do all of his backstory and all of his establishing in this one. And it was interesting. It just was a little long. Um, and then, yeah, he kind of goes back, and it's just a lot of hemming and hawing over whether or not he'll go to the south and then blowing some stuff up and then running and then blowing other stuff up, which, again, looks great, but was a little whatever. But then <laughs> uh, Austin Butler is put in charge by the Baron uh, to go wipe out all the Fremen on Arrakis and control the planet and the spice fields. Uh, and so he basically invades. And so Paul goes and gets 
his entire army of millions of Fremen, and then they beat each other up for the third act in the most spectacular way you will ever see. <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> it is some of the best action. Like, I put it up there with, like, you know, Top Gun Maverick had me, like, gripping the seat, like, oh my gosh, what is happening? This same thing. Like, it's so good and so visually spectacular. And I told, I was telling Everett, too, that there's always, like, in any like war type movie or fighting movie like this there's always a scene where someone's like walking through that crowd of soldiers and just like wiping them out super easily and zendaya does that and like she you know is phenomenal it's choreographed really well she has a great fight scene but there was something about josh brolin with his little angry face just (laughs) wiping out everyone who walked by like they'd walk up to him and he would just slash their throats and they would fall down immediately and it was so good and i am not a josh brolin stan but i really enjoyed that scene (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so there's just spectacular action from huge explosions to these little moments of like staying on josh brolin's pardon our cats they decided to start playing of course right as we start recording um But yeah, so Josh Brolin, like you get these little moments on his face and like he gets revenge for uh, losing the Duke and everything in the first movie and he gets some revenge on um, Batista's character and stuff. And there's like these little character moments throughout it. And then it culminates in this really awesome scene where um, Paul basically, they've stormed the keep of the, the emperor Uh, and he just walks in fully in his like desert garb covered in blood um, and just walks in so confidently and looks so cool and like these are the moments that could easily be so stupid or even before there's a moment where he's like yelling to the millions of freemen fremen and stuff and it's like that could have been so cheesy and dumb but they just they nailed it yeah and so in this he like walks in and he starts saying these things and the takes them prisoner and later he then oh and he stabs the baron in the neck he stabs the baron in the neck and then he brings everyone all the prisoners in front of him and whatever and he basically tells the emperor like i'm gonna challenge you now and i'm going to take your throne and marry your daughter right after he told zendaya he will love her forever (laughs) (laughs) um and so the emperor names his champion which is of course austin butler and timothy chalamet is the, the champion of himself and they have such a sick duel. And Austin Butler, the character design, having, you know, the bald cap and the no eyebrows in any other context would be, again, so silly. With the but he is, Yeah, with like the, oh, you're gonna fight, whatever. But he is so menacing <laughs> and spooky in they this. They did it so well. And it's yeah, perfect. their fight together is so intense. It's so crazy. And, and... like... Oh. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet, he ends up winning. Of course. But it really felt for a minute, especially because I think it is like um, his mom has his daughter, or his daughter, his mom has her own daughter uh, in like her womb that he can kind of talk to and weird stuff like that. Um, and she is going to be really important going forward. And so there's part of you that thinks maybe the role of timothy chalamet is to die here and something then will happen with the daughter especially because like the whole movie they talk about how like 
if he died, he would die like a martyr and become an even larger religious symbol. Yeah. And they're trying to start like this holy war. So. Yeah. So yeah. there's like a real chance that's like, oh my gosh, they're going to just kill Timothy Chalamet right now. That might just happen. And so as the fight goes on and you like they've established that Austin Butler is really like a fearsome sociopath killer. And he is. And he is. <laughs> And so their duel, and it's also just like, again, so well choreographed, so well done. They cut the music. It's just intense and really gripping. Like, I think a lot of times, especially like movies struggle with duels. They're always, you know, especially when you want the actors to do their own stunts or something, it's a little slow, it's a little cumbersome, or it just isn't quite as cool as you think it is. Um, But I think having it be like a knife fight, it's so fast and they can like, you have to be close quarters so there's headbutts there's elbows there's little knife slashes there's cool flips and tricks and stuff mixed in there that aren't like over the top it's just awesome yeah (laughs) um and he does end up winning good on you timothy chalamet and then they reveal that they sent word to the other great houses to like accept his rise to power and they refuse and that tees up for what will probably come because our theater was sold out for the fan preview, which maybe, hey, it was all the fans going out early, but I would be shocked if this movie doesn't do a lot better than the first, and after the first, they still made the second, so I I see this movie being pretty big, um, and if Denis Villeneuve wants it, he they will happily fund a third for him. Yep. Um, so and I can't wait. What would you rate it? I'm giving this a nine and a half out of ten, just because that middle is a little slow. If I ever rewatch this, that's where I'll go on my phone and scroll through some stuff while I'm waiting for the good action to come back. Yeah, surprisingly, I would give this like a nine, which I think is the highest score I've ever given a sci-fi movie <laughs> in my entire life. It's yeah. it's hey, really you liked the really creator good. Too, last year. I liked the creator. But I think the creator, I still gave like a seven. Yeah, probably. This is having a nine for the, yeah. it's by far the best movie we've seen this year. We were just talking oh, yeah. about how every movie this, this year is garbage. Year. So right. yeah, with that, let's get into our next movie. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here. It's been a while since you've had one of those nightmares. Tell me, what was it about? All right, on a much less... <laughs> Just as prestigious a name of director, but... Uh, <laughs> much less phenomenal note, yeah. This, <laughs> this one, uh, Driveway Dolls, directed by Ethan Cohen, has showed us by far who the talented family member was. Yeah, so you'll, you'll all be aware of the Cohen brothers, you know, Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and a bajillion other very Big Lebowski, like a ton of huge hits under their belt. Uh, and then they kind of separated, went their own ways, and one of them made Oscar-nominated and a movie that made me actually enjoy Shakespeare, Macbeth, which is a visually stunning movie. Go check it out. Uh, and then the other one made, made drive-away dolls. <laughs> And oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Um, so this is a spoiler free part. I don't really know what much we could say besides it's bad. Yeah. Uh, uh. really, really bad. The transition <laughs> shot things between the scenes are like half of them are like an eighth grade PowerPoint, mm-hmm. and the other half are like 
weird psychedelic. Whoever made this choice should be in prison. It's so bad. Jail time. Like, it's... It's rough. It's, like... And I, I am the type of person I will forgive and I will let go and I will be like, well, yeah, it's not very good, but you know, it still did that. No, these transitions, they serve no purpose. They're so They're bad so and long and long. And like, I guess kind of the psychedelic ones sort of come together at the end, but just not really in any way. And the other just like, eighth grade powerpoint ones as you described them like in fifth grade whatever uh yeah they're just they're that bad it's like a default transition with a little sound effect silly sound effect underneath that comes from like a looney tunes cartoon and it just it if the movie was building any sort of momentum which it hardly ever does but when it does it immediately just cuts all any sort of anything it just pulls the rug out from under it completely with these awful transitions yeah and not only that the acting is not great it's like one of those other movies like how they did with argyle where they get a billion people with like 18 credits under their belt who are like phenomenal actors and they throw them in these awful awful movies like I liked Argyle better than this, if that says anything. At least Argyle made me laugh at its stupidity. This one, it got nothing. It was so... Boring. Boring and (laughs) bad. And the storyline didn't make sense. It was like 18 different plots that they couldn't decide between, so they decided to just shove them all together and hoped that it it made sense and came together in the end. And it didn't. It's just bad all the way around. Yeah, and like the leads aren't likable or charming or funny or charismatic i think the character in a different movie could have been charming i think either of them in a different movie could be fine but in this movie both of them are yeah like margaret qualley's character never has any kind of redemption but they still want us to cheer for her the whole time it's just which is always our pet peeve with stuff (laughs) is like when someone's a bad person and they never have to apologize for it it just Just main character syndrome where they can just oh they're the main character so you like them or oh they're an attractive person so you like them and it's like "Mm, and had she been in another movie and like had any sort of redemption i would have really liked her you know who doesn't like that one time she didn't do the really (laughs) annoying thing she'd been doing the whole movie because her friend asked her not to and so then one time she finally (laughs) didn't do it yeah and so that's a whole redemption arc right there boom because you know 90s texas lesbian would normally be right up my alley (laughs) for favorite characters her outfits were killer i will say but other than that garbage 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 movie um yeah i just i don't even I don't even know. Yeah, and uh, Geraldine uh, Viswanathan is the kind of other lead, and she's probably the best part of the movie. Because she's almost likable. She's almost likable, though, like, her arc is to become less likable. Yeah. That is, they take her from being this kind of, like, quirky, funny character who you can kind of snicker with to being just at, like... The, the arc is not, oh, you know, you should become friends because you're, like, you understand each other and you let each other be yourself. It's, no, you have to be like me. That's your arc. Yeah. 
Like, let's say they took the character archetypes from Bottoms, the two main characters, but made Ayo Edaberry's character turn into Rachel, what's her last name? Senate. Rachel Senate with no apologies and then threw them in a Thelma and Louise where they didn't do us the courtesy of driving off a cliff at the end. <laughs> like, it's just... Yeah, it's that Awful. <laughs> I don't often say skip a movie, but most of the people involved in this are probably pretty well off. And so, and everyone else has already got their paycheck. So they are doing fine and onto their next thing. And anyone who has a back end deal needs to learn that this is not the type of movie you should make. uh, And don't go support this garbage. Yeah. Also, if you're looking (laughs) forward to seeing Pedro Pascal or uh, Matt Damon, because they were both heavily featured in the trailer, um, don't. Because they're yeah. in it for probably five minutes each. Uh, five minutes is generous. I think yeah. collectively they're in it for four. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's move into spoilers. All right. Um, spoilers for Drive Away Dolls. This follows two lesbians who one of them is like prudish and uptight and the other one is slutty. Um, and they want us to like the slutty one, even though she consistently cheats on her partner of two years. And never apologizes and never... Rude at yeah. every turn and does not respect her, her, like, prudish friend. And, like, yeah, you want your friend to have a bit of fun and loosen up a little bit and get back out there. But don't bring your hookups back to the hotel room that you're staying in together. Like, it's just... She did the worst thing she could do at every turn and never was punished for yeah. it it was just and then like for the prudish one like the arc is to stop being yourself and you know yes you can cut loose a bit more but that's not really where she goes she goes to suddenly just being in love with this horrible person and doing like just being completely opposite to who she is from yeah. the start. And the other one agrees to marry her, even though she's just been cheating on every person she's ever been. It just doesn't make sense. Their characters are flawed. They don't ever add up to anything. The storyline doesn't make sense. But anyways, the story, supposedly, uh, they do a drive away thing where they get like a rental car going towards where they're going, which is Tallahassee, Florida. And they accidentally pick up these crime crime people's cars from poor poor little curly who gets killed um and yeah they pick and curly was also the only one who was kind of funny but they pick up this car and it has pedro pascal's head in it and a briefcase full of dildos yep apparently that belonging to political figures Mm-hmm. and that's, that's literally the whole and movie like, and nothing happens yeah and the other thing like and the kind of end of it is they sell the dildos back to matt damon because one is his and he's a powerful senator who might run for president one day in florida um and like in a better movie that could be a really funny dumb premise but in this movie kind of the the vibe they're kind of leaving you with is awful politicians will get away with it because they're rich and you know it's all inevitable 
And if that's the kind of message they're leaving you with, it also, like, why didn't Matt Damon just say, not mine? Yeah. And there's also about <laughs> like, a 20-minute psychedelic sequence of Miley Cyrus. She's called the plaster caster. For a reason. Yeah. And she's doing that for, like, 20 minutes in, like, psychedelic, weird 70s colors. And that's it. That's that's the movie. And yep. that's like the transitions they do between scenes. And it just... It's so stupid and bad and awful. And then they go get married, I guess. Yep. I don't... I really don't understand. I don't like it. I... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so what would you rate it? I don't know. Maybe like a three because... I have been laughing for three days over the stupidest <laughs> phrase that I've ever heard in my life, um, which the phrase is slapping ham on the veranda, which is stupid and I hate it. And that was his term of having sex on a porch swing. I don't know why that was the only thing that made me laugh in the entire movie. And it's not even funny. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh Yeah. I think I'm going to go even lower. I'm giving it a two. Yeah. I had high hopes. Yeah, it was, was one excited. of my like most anticipated movies of the year. So I really am quite devastated, yeah. which I think is why I'm sticking with like a three. I think if I thought about it more, I would probably give it like a one. But since <laughs> I had such high hopes for it, I just wanted it to be good. Yeah. Well, that's Driveaway Dolls. Don't touch it. I saw this movie once where they come across this box. And they open the box. The case. And it was like really, really bad. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Nerd and Normie podcast. Make sure you tune in every Monday for a new episode and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Nerd and Normie. Uh, and like and subscribe if you're on YouTube and leave us a five-star review. Uh, if you're on an audio platform, really helps us out. Thank, Thank you. you.